Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsmen find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. On today's podcast, Captain Mike and I sit down and discuss spring redfish behavior and patterns. This time of year can be feast or famine for any recreational angler or guide. We hope the tips we share on this episode help you feast next time you're on the water. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. What's up, everybody? Captain Ozzy here with Marker 23 Guide Service, and I'm here to let you know about an epic fishery you don't want to miss out on. That being the Roanoke River in Weldon, North Carolina. Myself, along with other guides, will be there from April 23rd through May 6th. If you have any interest in catching striper in large quantities, as well as an epic topwater bite in the morning and the evening, then please let me or Judd know, and we'll get you on the water chasing these trophy fish as soon as possible. Mike, excited to be doing a, a legit podcast with you, not just one of our Patreon exclusive ramp talks, but uh, thanks for jumping on with me this afternoon. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. I, uh, I, I We haven't done one, just you and me, here on the uh, the main platform in a long time. So if people do want to hear me and talk, me and Mike talk on a regular basis, uh, you can go over to the Ramp Talk podcast on Patreon and check it out. A um, little shameless plug there for our Patreon page. But uh, we're going to talk about kind of the spring – uh, the spring feast or famine, if you will, uh, the time of year that can be some of the most epic days ever. And then some of the most confusing days ever, um, just based off of transitioning fish and patterns shifting and changing and locations of fish shifting and changing, which is something that we see a lot, but it's also something that's exciting coming from a, a long lull of winter redfish and speckled trout kind of beating up the same old areas, same old zones all winter trying to you know, fish to fish, fish to fish as little as possible. Um, keep them happy. But uh, but Mike, yeah. Mike, uh, how's your spring fishing been so far? Man, you you hit the nail on the head. 
I would say I would tell clients this time of year is hero or zero, um, for a lack of better description. Um, you know, like some days you, it's not that you're not finding fish or you're not seeing fish, but you know, in some days you see fish, you like yesterday, I saw 75 fish had shots at them, never got them to eat. I don't know if it's, you know, a pressure change or a weather change that they're going through that transitionary time. They're just happy some days and some days they're not. Yeah. And, you know, it's just figuring out that balance. Um, you know, another group of fish, I fished four times last week. We had shots on four different days. I had the same group of fish first three days, watched them swim around baits, that kind of stuff. Fourth day, I could get within 25 feet of them and we fed five. You know, it's just they're going through that spring transition that water cools up or warms up it cools down the pressure is kind of all over the place as some of the storms come through the winds changing directions water's dirty one day clean one day different things like that and you know these fish just have a lot of variables that they're trying to overcome or work through every day to decide if they want to eat or not yeah no, that's uh, that's very true, man. And this time of year, it's it, 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 you see that so much. Like the the I was off today with the boys, but uh, Monday, Tuesday fishing, um, it was two, Monday was real cloudy, supposed to be windy, but actually was pretty calm. And uh, I had way more shots that day than the following day that was calm and sunny, which and, and warmer. It was a cold. It was a yeah. cooler uh, night and a little bit cooler, like morning start. But it still warmed up. But I was like, man, with the amount of shots we had in the clouds yesterday, I know we're gonna, you know, it's gonna be silly today in the sun. And it just, we had some awesome shots. We we fed one on the fly yesterday uh, for a, a new fly angler. We probably had we we probably had fifteen shots yesterday, but five, three to five, like really catchable fish shots in the whole day yeah. and it was tough and 15 shots of fish where we got to cast to them we saw you know i'd say god we saw we mudded a ton of fish uh, but a lot of fish just sitting deeper and so that's just one of the things that you deal with um this time of year and so this time of year if i can go out and get a dozen to 15 quality shots that and that's meaning you're probably seeing 75 fish at that point you know um yeah but but a dozen to and that, and that's not just casting at the fish. A quality shot to me is is a catchable fish. Um, then then I feel like I can put my stamp on that day and feel really good about it. Um, but but sometimes you go out and you expect that and they kick your butt and you're like, what am I doing wrong? It it can be really as a guide and an angler this time of year can be really frustrating. Uh, but also you, this time of year, you come back to the boat ramp some days feeling like an absolute champ. You know what I mean? Like, dude, we, I know we didn't get any yesterday, but we caught 30 on top water today. It's like, you can have those kind of days. It's pretty crazy. I was, was going to say, I mean, there's days when they're just happy and everything's going on and it's just right. Whatever, you know, ticks, ticks the box for that day to make those fish happy. And like you said, it's, it can be one of those days where you just see them tailing and shallow or just big groups of them just doing everything that they're supposed to do, letting you get close, letting you get good shots at them. And yeah, you can put some numbers on the board real fast. For sure. For sure. It's uh, it's, it's the time of year too, that you and I talk about this in the podcast before, and we've talked about it on Patreon, but it's a time of year that hard baits can really come into play, but also topwater. Like it's funny how, you can be throwing soft plastics, you know, Ned rigs, 
Nedrick Soft Plastics, you know, gulp, you know, juicy, juicy gulp, and you know, right on the bottom, let them swim over top of it. They won't eat it. Then you throw a top water plug, and it's like they absolutely crush it and murder yeah. it, and don't even think twice about it. So if you're if you're struggling to get fish to eat this time of year, don't be afraid to try the top water plug. It's a time of year that uh, that that can actually be the little secret to to getting them to decide to chew, especially if they're still schooled up in the spring. For sure. And I was going to say, too, the other thing is cadence. Um, you know, like two weeks ago, I'd be like, all right, slow strip, slow strip, kind of tick, 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 just that kind of constant speed and getting it away from them. And the other day I had one fish in this group, you know, tick, tick, tick. He follows it. He follows it. He just never would pull the trigger. And I'm like, I just told the guy, big strip. And I mean, he just yanked it like two to three feet away from it. And that fish just came out of nowhere, you know, just giant tail kick and smashed it. Um, you know, so sometimes it can be just a cadence change. Um, same thing with the top water instead of like summertime, like pop, 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 or keep working it, you know, walk, 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 walk. You can sometimes, you know, walk, 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 stop it. Almost especially like a bass lure or something, you know, for more like a speckled trout. Um, I know last year we had some top water gurgler eats that were like that, like pop, 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 fish would come up, look underneath it and they would leave it alone as why I kept moving but as soon as it stopped and they didn't hear it anymore they would turn around and then just come back and smoke it so you know just that cadence change um just like the weather changing you know every day they want something just slightly different so sure. being able to flex you know move through and be flexible with what the fish are giving you can make a huge difference yeah 100 percent. it's uh it, it is a huge thing man the I was in those on those fish and skinnies a couple days ago and you know they're they're not spook they weren't being spooky they were flashing and floating and super happy they wouldn't need a top water but they also did not want to eat a soft plastic but I did you know w- when you're not getting bit oftentimes you like think like all right downsize or you know work it really slow make it really subtle but sometimes what they want is is they just you got to you got to tap into that killer instinct that they've got and and that'll yeah. get it done and we started ripping our you know we were fishing spin rods we started. Uh, we still fished a small bait. It was a little Ned Rig creature bait, actually, but we started ripping it pretty quick through the group, and it had to be at the right angle. It had to be, you know, the correct angle, and the fish still had to be, you know, unspooked by it. But if if you could make that happen, um, they were absolutely crushing it. Nice. Yeah. I didn't say that. Um, sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, was that your phone that dinged or mine? I think it was both of ours. <laughs> nice. Um, but, yeah, the, that that speeding up of, of the bait really did get the fish fired up. And for an hour I was in there fishing it slower and slower and trying to make it real subtle, letting it sit on the bottom. And then finally finally ripping it um, was, the, was the ticket. But uh, what do you tend to find to be your, your baits of choice this time of year? You know, for me, I – Top water is one, and the second is still just sticking with a four-inch diesel minnow. Um, for me, at least, you know, I tend to like to be able to see my bait, really be able to, you know, have a little bit of range in color and weight. Um, so I'll kind of stick with that, and I feel like I can just – it's something that I keep less tackle on the boat, but still have a lot of effective range and movement um, throughout the day as I'm fishing. 
Um, and then the next thing that I'll kind of carry or keep in on the boat is some um, mirror lure, um, just typical MR-17. Is going to be the, the other thing that I'll kind of hold on to and um, always have ready in case that is what I need to do for the day. For sure. For sure. Uh-huh. The uh, the mirror lure is a great one when they're schooled up and floating and, and not wanting a soft plastic. It's so important to keep yeah. that bait at the right right water level, right depth. So. Exactly. I was going to say, I know for, at least for me, the last probably two, three weeks when I've been able to find these fish sitting shallow, I've really downsized the um, Texas size over to like eighth ounce, which is not something I typically do. I like to throw that quarter ounce just so that I can get, you know, get that long distance cast. But I feel like this time of year, it's just so hard to keep it in the right zone and keep it out of the grass and the algae and everything. And I think that's something else that brings a lot of frustration, at least to me as a guide and me as an angler, as I'm fishing is like, you know, you got so much algae starting to work off the bottom or, you know, die off and starting to flush out of the creeks and stuff in certain areas that um, you're not just contending with picky fish, but you're, you know, if they're sitting in a foot, foot and a half of water and you're trying to keep that bait in the right spot, just in front of them, you're bringing it right over the top of the algae and the grass a lot of times. And I think that's one reason I like to stick with that um, diesel minnow in the Texas eye. For sure. Yeah, the, the diesel man is great, man. And the way it falls slow and the tail kicks, they really like it. You can fish it up there in the yeah. water column, like you're saying, and uh, really really be effective, uh, you know, in a lot of different parts of the water column. Fishing it up higher, letting it sit down low, dragging it mm-hmm. to the bottom. So if y'all haven't, y'all should, if you're listening to this podcast, you should check out our most recent YouTube video. I've been slacking the past week to get one up because I've had two sick kids. I was sick. We've been guiding every day, and so it's been tough. And so got some. Uh, I also had a hard drive crash with all of our content from this year, from since January one until like two weeks ago. Lost every bit of podcast content, video content, everything. So it was a bit of a kick in the pants, and kind of like, oh my gosh. So luckily I didn't lose much content that hasn't already been put out, but I did lose some. Um, but the, the latest video is underwater slow-mo look at uh, quite a few different soft plastics to kind of see where they shine and, and maybe what some of their flaws were as a bait, as a soft plastic. And really I learned a lot looking at that and kind of being able to analyze and, and pick what I wanted to do. Did you, what kind of stood out to you, Mike, in that video as far as, um, the different soft plastic paddle tails. I think just how much movement the different densities and plastics have, like, um, that was one. And then B, how many of them actually sank, um, and how fast they sank too. I, you know, I was always under the impression that the diesel minnows would fall a little slower, which maybe they did, but even those, I guess some of the denser plastics, not that they sank, but that they floated. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, that their you know their sink rates weren't quite as aggressive as I thought that they would be, um, so I, that that really stood out to me. So I think that's something that I haven't you know picked up on in the past, and I just always kind of steer away from certain things because I'm like, oh, it's going to sink too fast. It's like throwing a lead ball, you know. Well, but that's one thing I really learned. Me with it sorry that's one thing i really learned with it is the fact that if you want if you want to fish a paddle tail you you probably should pick a plastic that does float you know and because if it doesn't if it doesn't float or even it doesn't have much 
you know, flotilla, if it doesn't, I don't know what the right term would be. If it doesn't, some, some are floatier than others. And if it's a, if it's one that that's not, not as floaty as like a Z man, if you will, it's way less action, way less kick and paddle because that tail, the paddle on it wants to resist sinking even more, um, resist going through water. So, I mean, that's essentially flotation is like resisting going through water. So that tail is resisting moving forward. Even you get more kick, you get more action out of it. Um, the only soft plastic, even I put a few more in after the video, the only thing I could find that would sink was the matrix shad, but there was definitely different, you know, some would float way more than others. And, and I was definitely, I mean, I wasn't surprised, but that diesel minnow and we have no affiliation with Z man and we don't get any kickbacks from them. No, um, no sponsorships or anything like that. The diesel minnow had hands down the best paddling action out of a bait. Now I could totally see and get behind a dense plastic and a sinking soft plastic, uh, as far as like a fluke goes, or like, let's talk about, or let's, or not let's talk about, but, uh, as far as a flute goes, or even um, what's the little John, the little John bait, like baits like that, yeah. uh, I think could really benefit from the uh, denser plastic and and being down there near the bottom because that's really what you're trying to fish and stay down low, if you will. What do you think? No, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, and it all depends on exactly how you're how you're fishing it or what water depths you're fishing it in, you know, most of our, I would say 90% of our fishing is sight fishing or at least, you know, when we're throwing us off plastic. Um, so, you know, we're looking for a little different characteristics than what some of the, somebody else might be looking for. So they all, they all have their place. Um, but yeah, for what we're doing, I, I think that's probably our best, best soft plastic that you can get your hands on right now. Yeah, I think I think it's a good option for sure. Uh, the, it, it, it's very versatile, and I swim it a lot. You know, I will swim it a lot, but a lot of times I'm just jigging it and just having that tail kick and fall a little bit slower. Is super helpful. Um, what what you kind yeah. of what did you find the to be the behavior of the fish today? We've had a few warm days in a row. Um, what were you kind of what were you kind of seeing overall? Man, after honestly after yesterday, I thought it was going to be kind of one of those days where it was going to be a swing for the you know a hit out of the ballpark per se. Um, but it definitely was not, it seemed like today, let's see, I fished up North, um, yesterday, found fish sitting shallow the past few days that I fished up there, you know, they've been sitting shallow. I went down South on Saturday, fished around down there, had a lot of good opportunities. I was just kind of moving around, really just kind of picking picking apart areas with the trolling motor. So I wasn't necessarily fishing the best way or anything, but just kind of locating and scouting and looking for fish. And it seemed like today they were just not wanting to be happy and sitting super shallow. Most of the fish that we did find were sitting in two feet of water. Um, the fish that we, that we saw moving or, you know, at least sliding were really wanting that moving water or a little higher water, which, um, you know, right now we've got, I don't know if we're coming off a full moon or going to a full moon, but we got really big tides right now. So, um, you know, the water's getting super low and it seemed like once that tide kind of dropped down past that normal low mark, they just kind of split off and set in deep water. So they weren't super, super active. Um, now I don't know if that's because today's been the warmest day. The water temp got up 75, 78, you know, in some areas. So I don't know if it just got a little warmer than what they were expecting. Um, but I did also notice when we got one fish today, 
we did um buddy took it home make fish tacos uh, opened up his stomach and looked at it and i think one of the reasons that those fish are sitting deeper is a lot of their diet right now is crab um that's something you know you see a lot of mullet on the surface you're seeing stingrays bust little grass shrimp and different things like that but the areas that I fished today, I think maybe they were just focused, you know, deeper water looking for those big fiddler crabs, um, blue crabs, mud crabs of all kinds, you know, um, that seemed to be what their, their diet focus was today. I've noticed that in multiple springs now that, that really, and, and again, I think we've probably talked about this on the podcast before with crabs and mud crabs, it is going to take the fish a little bit longer to break those down. So you're often going to see crab in their stomach no matter when you clean it or pieces of crabs but um i don't know what the actual breakdown time is of the the mud crab claws and the mud crab body the shell if you will uh but Mm -hmm. there's always in the spring always multiple mud crabs and redfish if you clean them it seems like it's like their stomachs and like a shrimp and a bait fish yeah they're going to break down a little bit quicker but i've still cleaned plenty of uh redfish you know back in the days where there's there's shrimp and mullet and whatnot all in their stomach. So especially, you know, the ones belly crawling down the bank, they are usually pretty loaded up with, with the sh- with the grass shrimp, the small little grass shrimp. But but yeah, mud crabs are, are pretty uh are a pretty large part of their um of their diet this time of year and so they you, you oftentimes find it and, and where those mud crabs live is a hard bottom. So oysters, rock, anything like that the bottom mic i got a loud banging noise coming through um it's pretty loud on this end i don't know what it might be but i'm just letting you know okay i'll try to be quieter over here <laughs> i good. got a little I'm, I'm trying to make dinner before the wife oh, you're, you're everything good, you're gets good. home it might just so. be my headphones that's loud but um it, I, I think uh I'll, let me see if i can tweak it a little bit there but um, but yeah, the, yeah, we even talked about, and we st- I still haven't done it. But remember the mud crab rig I was talking about last year for bait fishing, mm-hmm. like the reverse drop shot mud crab rig. So for bait fishing trips, it can be tough in the spring. Like it can be really tough to get fish to eat, especially once they break out of schools and they're transitioning, and there's not real, you know, the mullet aren't up on the grass edges, so it's not drawing the fish in the grass edges. They're wanting to hang around oysters, but you can't really put a mud minnow around oysters because he goes and finds himself a little hole to sit in and he doesn't get bit. Um, so I was like thinking about a teardrop weight. So essentially a, a drop shot rig. So a teardrop weight and then come up the line about a foot and pop a mud crab on a circle hook right there and then run that up to a float. So you could throw it over an oyster rig, let that weight sit on the bottom and then your mud crab is suspended off the oysters by six inches to a foot and, and he can't hide and he's just sitting there right where the redfish you know, want to obviously are going to find him. So, um, we need to try that this year as far as some bait fishing stuff goes, but we've been uh, so much flying light tackle, which I'm not complaining about. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, this year, especially it seems like we've had a lot more flying light tackle guys than say bait fishing. Um, which has been awesome. I think that's going to, well, at least for myself, I'm going to try to open up a little bit more, you know, as I think it'll be a good learning season for me. Um, you know, spending that many more days focused in looking in different areas or, you know, expanding my horizons in those, in those senses. So I think a lot of times you get a little, once the summertime, you know, kind of gets here, you kind of get not stuck, but you kind of have a good idea of what's going on in this time of year. I think it's good to just, when you have the site fishing trips, 
it really pushes you to go and try a ton of different stuff and really move around and, um, you know, just looking every day at something different. Yep. So. Yeah, you can really learn a lot about, about, you know, where the fish are hanging out. And, and most of the spots, if I do end up bait fishing this time of year, most of the spots I'm bait fishing are areas that I've seen because I've seen fish while pulling. <laughs> you know, like I know yeah. there's some here that'll eat. Exactly. I was going to say that's, that's kind of where, how I broke down my day to day. I had, um, you know, we tried to tight fish a little bit, just didn't seem like the fish were wanting to sit super shallow. And so we switched over to bait fishing and just kind of posting up and man casting areas. And as we were doing that, you know, those spots that I found are, are the spots that I was doing that in or because I've been finding fish sitting there. So, um, I would say, I think that's the, the nice thing is it's not just a, it's not just like finding fish now, but you're you're adding to your repertoire, adding to your tackle box per se of what you've got um, in your back pocket for later on to yeah, work with. Most definitely, most definitely. Well, what what's your anticipation anticipation based off of what you've seen so far um, this spring? What do you kind of feel like our our season's going to be like? You know, I don't I don't know if you saw this the other day or not, but there's already finger mullet here. Quite a few finger um, mullet, honestly. Yeah, I was going to say last year, this time, I don't feel like I remember seeing any finger mullet. Even the big mullet kind of seemed to disappear once the water started to warm up. There's still a good bit of the big big mullet around. Um, so I'm really hoping, and there's, it seemed like there was a good, you know, good push of fish that were there this past week. It seems like there's some fish still in the marsh system. So I'm thinking this year should be a good year. You know, last year we kind of got into May, I feel like, and you know, the sight fishing was good. We had some good days, and the bait fishing just never really turned on. The mullet really weren't here until almost July, it felt like. Yeah. So I'm hoping some of this, you know, is gonna is showing that it's going to be one of those years that we have a, have a really good year, have a lot of fish in the marsh. Um, you know, the bait will be here, all that kind of stuff. It'll be kind of a, a slow ramp into it, but it you know it'll start to pick up over the next few weeks and just be kind of a steady incline until we get to the summer. For sure. So yeah, that's the cool thing about this time of year is just because you looked at something, and the frustrating thing about this time of year is just because you looked at something yesterday doesn't mean there it won't be loaded. You know, the next time you're on the water, so it's constantly yeah. checking new stuff and then rechecking stuff that that you you know that you missed, and then checking new stuff and then rechecking stuff. So it's it's a lot of lot of help. I mean, this is when what we talk about networking and having a network of people is so crucial. Um, and not I wouldn't say crucial, but so helpful. Not that you yeah. have to have a big network to get out there, but I mean, between you, me, Cameron, Jeff, and Ozzy talking on a regular basis, I mean, I feel like it really helps everybody kind of stay in the loop of what's happening, where fish are, where fish are moving. You know where fish aren't anymore, which is super helpful. I mean, you got a trip, and you, you, you think that you know there's still this school of 250, 300 fish in this one spot, but you haven't been in there in three days. But but you were in there, Mike, and you told me, hey, I went and checked yesterday; they weren't in there. That saves me 30 minutes, 45 minutes out of my day of unproductive fishing. Um, you know where I could have been spending my time elsewhere. So that's that's kind of how I look at it, if you will. You know, the for sure you know, being able to just keep track of everything. More sets of eyes on the water are more helpful. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. 
Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide Kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Definitely. What I was saying, I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact of, all right, I don't need to go there. That right there is more of a time, you know, time saver and just gives you the idea all right if they're not here where else could they go you know you can check one spot and they slid a quarter mile down the creek or gone to this little pocket or that little pocket whatever the case may be um so you know elimination of water is almost i feel like more helpful than um finding new stuff (laughs) yeah finding new stuff if that makes makes any sense yeah the more water you eliminate the closer you get to finding the next best spot if you will yeah exactly so don't be discouraged Uh i mean it can be so discouraging to go and check lots and lots of stuff that but it's it's close it's it's funneling down that map if you will of where you need where the fish are where you need to go and every every fish you find is another key to the puzzle you know another piece to the puzzle because this time of year it's not always patternable, but there is a lot of things that are very patternable, especially coming in the next few weeks. So I feel like as that, as those fish start to ramp up, that pattern gets way more consistent until all of a sudden it changes. But once you kind of hit and you find two fish or a fish and very similar, two different, you know, very similar spots, you can typically run with that pretty easily this time of year. I feel like. Yeah, for sure. You can you can take it and kind of pattern that out and run that pattern and find some more fish. It's it is uh it's cool when that happens. You're like, oh gosh, they were. It seems like they're on you know islands near the inlets because they're pushing into the inlets. You go check all the different islands. You're like, wow, there they are. That's where they are. So think yep. about that when you're looking at where to fish. Think about how fish move in through um, your area. If they've been a lot of fish will winter out you know in the ocean where there's a little more t- uh, consistent temperature and more bait and so as those fish are pulsing back in pushing back in through the inlets and through the rivers where are they going to hit first what's going to naturally where's the current naturally going to take those fish so they're they're creatures of habit but they're also victims of the tide if you will so they're going to kind of go to those normal places find themselves in those normal places but i feel like honestly if you look at how they're going to be directed into an area you can almost pick those spots before you even know the fish are there yeah that's the cool thing for sure. So, um, so what else, you know, do you feel like uh, maybe we kind of kind of do a little update on 
at least here in in the southeast, we can in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. What other stuff is kind of kicking off that you know of fishing wise this time of year? So to the big thing right now is ooh, we just had Nita move through. We had some Spanish off the beach, um, so that's always exciting. A lot of times we get a really good spring trout fishing bite. Didn't seem like we got it as much here this year as we've had it in past years. But I we think it's still to come. I think it's it's starting. I think right now tomorrow. Yeah, I was gonna say, and that's the thing is like it hadn't happened yet, but there's you know. Exactly. We're still in that transition, so it could definitely happen at any point. Um, let's say the other the other thing was the big bluefish. Um, I didn't get on any monster, monster bluefish, but we definitely had a good push about a week or two ago of uh, bigger bluefish moving through the creeks in that, you know, two to four pound range. So that was kind of fun. We had some, had some good kids trips with that. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely... A lot of a lot going on in the marsh. It seems like it's coming alive. Yeah, for sure. I, the flounders can be pushing in every day. I'm spooking more and more flounder while polling. So that's something yeah. you know. That's just a good filler. Me and Mike talked about that yesterday. You know, if it's tough or even if it's not tough, you know, you're making some casts to redfish and and you pick a couple flounder up, it rounds your day out. No way to catch a slam here without catching a flounder. Yep. That's exactly. the that's the only way to do it. But. Um, yeah, the speckled trout fishing, spring speckled trout fishing, at least in the southern part of North Carolina, is, is often overlooked. But I know, you know, Pamela Sound up in Virginia, it's a great time of year. And, and and even where we are, too, but great time of year to catch big, big speckled trout on top water. A lot of people kind yep. of start to think about redfish again or stripers. And um, it is the prime time to be throwing a top water for a 30-inch speckled trout. And that's, that's a lot. Of, if I'm not sight fishing redfish, that's what I want to be doing. Um, are you are you still a Yozuri man on your topwaters, Mike? Or have you is your, are you excited to try anything new this year? Um, I mean, I definitely definitely still got a box full of Yozuri, so I don't know if I will ever put them down or step away from them. But um, you know, I think I've definitely added some other stuff, some Rapalas and different things like that have made their way into the box for the year. I think one thing that I've really kind of focused on or thought about over this past year was the sizes of topwaters that I was throwing. Um, I had one day last summer. I hadn't really, I didn't throw topwater a whole lot last year, um, but I had one day where I just had a group of guys. That's what they wanted to do. They were all about it. They wanted to throw it all day long. And, you know, one guy was just throwing a massive triple treble hook spook. And that's what got bit. Um, you know, and I think that's something that I, as anglers, we kind of get stuck on, oh, this is a bait we like, or that's the bait that we like. So, you know, adding some range to the size of the baits that you're throwing, um, especially as we start getting into later summer, when those bigger, those finger mullet are pushing that five inch mark, really stepping up to that bigger top water um, can make a huge difference. So, um so yeah, I've added some. I've added some stuff. I still think I'll stick with the Ozuri for the most part. I just like them; they walk really easy, um, even on some choppier days. But the, there's definitely been some stuff added to my box for this year. Yeah, that's uh, the, uh, top waters, man. You, you think like, oh, you just throw a top water fish going to eat it, and which is very true. But um, there can be. It's a hard thing to like fact check and to test, really. It, 
unless you're sitting yeah. on a school of fish, you know, and 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 you can keep throwing different ones and see which one they eat best. But um, it it just kind of it, it's a longer you know longer test, if you will. Is I'm trying to figure out the way to word this. It it, it takes longer <laughs> to fact check and test what kind of topwaters they want, but there's definitely some standards that that seem to ring true in the saltwater world, at least. You know, the 808 color, which is the black and orange and gold. Um, chartreuse mm-hmm. is popular. Red and white's popular. There's a, a lot of colored. it. Bone color's popular, but I think a lot of it comes down to cadence and and the way it walks. And I mean, we what do we take that Berkeley cane walker, which is like a little spitting walker, little cup mm-hmm. in the front of it, but it's more of a pencil popper. It looks like a, a old school, or not old school, but even just a northern. Um, kind of New Jersey, uh, New York type of striper lure, but shrunk down into like a redfish size plug. It's a triple hook plug. And dude, the, the trout and but those ones that I sent bud, man, that's all, all he's been fishing lately. It seems like those, the, the trout really have liked that cane Walker. Oh, heck yeah. Well, and I said, that's the thing is, you know, trying is it's that time of year to try different things, try, you know, busting out of your mold or busting out of the box and, doing something different and sometimes it's going to surprise you um with the results that you get out of it you know for sure it was uh it was definitely the the hot bait that day that's for dang sure yeah well it sounds like it's been the hot bait for a while now if he's still throwing them yeah that i think that 808 one doesn't even have much paint on anymore i saw a picture of it on instagram the other day it's it's pretty much completely (laughs) chewed up that's awesome and i think too just you know, if you are fishing an area that I would say heavily pressured or more pressured than somewhere else, um, you know, having something that's just slightly out of the box different or that's not the top, you know, everybody's going to go pick up a Rapala skitter walk or everybody's going to go pick up a double knock or, you know, a single knock or whatever. Having their, their, their standard plugs and they work and they work great. But sometimes having something that's just slightly different, um, whether that's a different color pattern or, you know, like you said, something that's, you know, got a little spit to it or something like that where it chugs more, um, something like that that's just slightly different is enough that the fish haven't seen it a ton and are a little more willing to try to, you know, come up and eat it or be a little more aggressive towards it. Most Um, definitely. Most definitely. It seems like, uh, changing it up a little bit i mean if you're in an area like where we are i mean used to it was pretty untapped but these fish have seen everything now so changing things up a little bit especially this time of year when fish might be a little spookier uh, is a great way to maybe have a little bit more success but it's so easy to just pick up what you've been confident with and always thrown um which you know i don't always Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but I don't always have, I, I kind of like playing around with different topwaters. Like I always, I'll buy some random one off some Japanese bait <laughs> website or something like that and try it out. But, um, there's so many cool new shapes of topwaters and styles of topwaters in the bass world that are, um, the, especially the Japanese baits. A lot of them are made with really good hardware anyway, so you don't have to swap anything for saltwater. Um, but just giving them something a little bit different never hurts. Yeah. Um, and I think that even stands true in our soft plastic. At yeah. least me, I know I get stuck in the, the white on white on white, um, especially during the winter time. And I have to really go back and like 
tell myself, oh, I need to go pick up, you know, a Redbone or a Houdini or something a little more natural or that has just a little bit of flake or a little bit of color to it, you know, pinfish color or something. Um, because especially I've seen the same white paddle tail, you know, five times in the last two weeks or whatever it may be. For sure. It's, it, you know, there's the, there's the tried and trues, but switching it up oftentimes will help. So, but man, I think that's a good wrap up of our kind of our spring look at redfish and, and just an encouragement to not be just, to not be discouraged, you know, if you get out there and, and check some new stuff and doesn't pan out, remember that's a, like me and Mike said, that's a piece of the puzzle. It's getting you closer to finding, you know, your next good spot. So that's uh that's sure. a, that's kind of a good, uh, a good place to leave it. I feel like. For sure. Well, sweet. You got any words of wisdom to leave them with or are you, are you uh words of wisdom doubt? I think, I think you, I think you summed it up pretty well right there. All right. Well, so, uh, try something different and don't be afraid to. Heck yeah. Well, with that, we will uh, we'll sign off, you guys. Thanks for checking out the Eastern Current Podcast. Another little reminder, go check out uh, the Ramp Talk Podcast on Patreon. Um, we'll have that linked in the show notes, and we'll see y'all next week. Later. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.